0: G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope, and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless look forward to connecting soon. All right. Well, it is just a real pleasure and a joy to be with you today. Uh, I love being up here. Uh, I love the work that you guys are doing. Uh, it's a real honor to be asked to supervise Sam and Zach and, and the churches and Uh, know that I want to, we we try to meet monthly uh, on Zoom but I also want to come up several times a year but we want you to feel a part of our movement of churches. Uh, This is a wonderful church here that I just love visiting and I'm always encouraged by. So uh, praise God for what he's doing amongst you. Uh, We're going to read from Colossians chapter 4 and we'll start at verse 2 down through to verse 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, when I was a kid, I went to a Christian school in the western suburbs of Melbourne, uh, called Heathdale Christian College, and there was this teacher there called Bernie Powers. Uh, he was a bit of a character, had crazy hair, a really weird voice, uh, but one day he just disappeared. He, uh, we came to school, there was an assembly, and we were told that he just moved to Pakistan to be a missionary. Now, I'm sure there was actually a process to these things, but as a little kid, it just seemed like he was there one day and gone on the next. But he'd gone off to be a missionary with his family, and for the next 21 years, he served uh, in the Arabian Peninsula, uh, spreading the gospel, proclaiming Jesus. He went to a number of different countries, Yemen, Jordan. In fact, he was thrown out of a couple of places because of uh, such a heavily uh, Muslim kind of culture. Uh, He only returned to Melbourne about 10 years ago, uh, and he now heads up something called uh, the Ministry to Muslims in Melbourne. Uh, He's a renowned expert in the Quran. He frequently debates with Muslims, engages in these theological debates, uh, attends public lectures and all of that. He's quite an extraordinary man. And then a few years after he left, another family arrived at the school called the Short family. Uh, They were cousins of one of my best friends and they were going to be missionaries to Niger. Now, uh, Niger is in West Africa, smack bang in the middle of the Sahara Desert. In fact, 80% of the country is part of the Sahara Desert. It's big, it's dusty, it's hot, and it's horrifically poor. In 2021, the United Nations described Niger as the least developed nation in the whole world. And this was where the Shorts placed their uh, ministry. This is where they gave their lives to spread the gospel. And so when I thought of missionaries growing up, I thought of people like this, people like the Shorts, people like Bernie Power, and I was awestruck by them. Yes, they were human, but they seemed superhuman, kind of the Christian superheroes, the marvel avengers of the church, so to speak. They had this kind of superhuman faith, the kind of faith that would lead them to give up all of the comforts of Australia for the discomfort of poverty, for the, change, the danger of persecution, and the challenge of mission. And maybe you grew up with figures like this too. If you grew up in a Christian family, there's probably on your fridge, there was some photos of some missionaries. Uh, Just like superheroes, they all seem to have a a uniform. They all got a beard uh, and they've got those terrible sandals. I don't know what it is about missionaries and sandals, but they always seem to have these sandals. (laughs) But you grew up looking at these people and maybe you laughed at their clothes, but you had a sense of respect for who they were the kinds of people they were. They were the superheroes of the church world. And when you thought about mission, you figured you had to be like them, that they were the the people who could do it and you couldn't. The idea of you being a missionary was just as far-fetched as they were far-flung around the world. Well, today I want to challenge that. Today, I want us to embrace the concept that we can all be missionaries, that we can all live our lives on mission, whether we're over in Africa or in Albion, whether we're in Niger or Newstead. Do you like my local knowledge there? I I, uh, had to check the pronunciation of Albion, but there we go. Now, I believe that God has called all of us to be on mission. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, it wasn't just to his disciples, to the apostles, he gave it to all of God's people, the church, to be on mission, to make disciples of all nations. And that includes us in that work. And so today I want us to think about, in this passage, we see the heart of the missionary, the prayer of the missionary, and the walk of the missionary. First of all, let's think about the heart of the missionary. Uh, This passage comes to us from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, uh, one of the very first Christian churches set up in what we now call Turkey. Uh, And Paul writes this letter from prison. Uh, This is probably his last imprisonment in Rome. It certainly wasn't his first. He was constantly uh, facing persecution. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about how he was whipped, how he was beaten, how he was stoned. He was persecuted and imprisoned multiple times. And that's what's happened here. He'd been proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and the Jews, he was a Jew himself, but the Jews were really angry at him. And in fact, there's this amazing line in Acts 22, away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. What an extraordinary line. Like imagine someone saying that about you. Like, away with this person, off the earth. They should not be allowed to live. That's how much Paul was hated. And so he was imprisoned now because he was proclaiming the gospel. Now, if I was in prison because I've been preaching and I was writing a letter to my church, I feel like that would be front and centre in my letter. That would be the first thing I'd say and I'd be talking all about it. And I'd be like, hey guys, can you help me? Like, you know, the lawyers, can you please help me? Uh, Melbourne's west is not the most uh, law-abiding part of Australia. I'd be saying, you know, locksmith, surely there's someone with a misspent youth that can help me here. But that's not what Paul does. He only really talks about the fact that he's in prison uh, later on. His whole letter is full of prayer, but not for himself. And even now, when he does pray about that, his prayer is very different. It's not what you'd expect. He says, pray for us that God may open to us, A door for the Word. He prays for an open door, but not for himself physically, that he can get out of the prison. He prays for an open door for the Gospel, that the Gospel would go out. He prays that he would have freedom to declare the mystery of Christ clearly. He prays for freedom, not for himself, but for the Gospel. And we actually know that this is what he was like. We know that this happened. In Philippians 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's writing from prison. It has become known throughout the whole guard, imperial guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So everywhere he went, even when he was in prison, he was telling the gospel. He had a captive audience. He was in prison, but he had all of these guards around. So he's like, okay, I'm going to tell them the gospel. And so they were becoming Christians. Wherever Paul was, he was seeking to proclaim the Gospel. That was what he prayed for. Freedom for the Gospel, not for himself. What a guy. What a remarkable person. What a missionary. Now, now how is this possible? How do you care about yourself so little and care about Jesus and the Gospel so much? How do you get that kind of heart, the heart of a missionary? Well, I want to suggest that the answer is in the gospel. You tell the gospel when you experience the gospel. You give yourself to God when you realise that he has given himself to you. See, Paul's life was wholly dedicated to the cause of Christ because he had experienced the love of Christ in a profound and transformative way. You probably know this story. Uh, we meet Paul. He's actually called Saul at this point at the start of Acts Uh, He is opposed to the Christian church, he's trying to strangle it at birth, he doesn't want it, he's been uh, trained as a Jew, he disagrees with what they're saying, he thinks that Jesus is, is blasphemous, claiming to be God. And so we're told that he began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison, he raised havoc, he breathed out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, like he is on a mission to destroy the church And he's on that mission as he heads off to Damascus. And of course, we know what happened. He was on the road to Damascus. A bright light shines around him and he encounters Jesus. And he is converted to become a believer in Jesus. It's incredible, really. This man who was pursuing Christians is actually being pursued by Christ. And Jesus is pursuing him, not to destroy him, but to give him life, a new life. And this experience stays with him, with Paul, forever after. It transforms him and it changes his whole life. We read in 1 Timothy 1, he's writing to a guy called Timothy that he mentored. And he says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see here Paul's experience of the gospel. He sees himself as the worst of sinners. He knows that he doesn't deserve God's favour, but that he has received it. And this grace that he gets from God completely changes him. He can't stop thinking about that. That's how he got his heart for mission. He tells the gospel because he knows and experiences the gospel. This is the heart of the missionary. A heart humbled by their own sin and then awed by God's grace. Aware of their own need and then thankful that God has met it. Rescued by the gospel and now dedicated to proclaiming it. See, a missionary can't help but tell the gospel. It just bubbles up out of them. And so, I wonder if we have that kind of attitude. Do we have the heart of the missionary? If we don't, then I think we need to go back to the gospel. Like, when was the last time you fully experienced the gospel? You sense the wonder of it. Really, what I'm asking is when is the last time you experienced grace? I remember the first time I truly understood grace, it was just transformative. I remember someone saying to me, look, you can't add to what Jesus has done and you can't take away from it. I've been trying my whole life to kind of earn God's favour and now I was just told I had it and I wanted to tell people about it. I couldn't help but want to tell people about it. So when's the last time you experienced that? When is the last time you sensed how good the good news is? But really, I think what we need to do to experience that the news is good, we also have to recognise the bad news. The news is only good because the news is also so bad. The bad news is that we are sinners. They're actually born in sin, that we are born rebelling against God. Romans 3 says that none is righteous. No, not one, not any of us is righteous. We've all turned aside, we've become worthless, no one does good, not even one, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us here, that's the bad news and you have to feel that before you can feel the good news. Because the good news is that even though we have fallen short, God still loves us. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to take our sin and to deal with it. See, our sin has to be dealt with. Justice demands that our sin is dealt with. But the mercy and the grace of God is that he deals with it himself. Jesus takes it on and pays the price for our sin so that we can be set free. 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That we can be loved by God, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And when's the last time you, you heard that? When's the last time you felt that? If you want to have the heart of a missionary, then go back to the gospel. So you won't tell the gospel unless you hear it. You won't celebrate the gospel unless you're experiencing it. And so that's why here at City on the Hill, we try to tell the gospel every week. We try to tell the gospel in every story, every part of the Bible is pointing to Jesus and we want to help us all see that. Whether you're here and you've never heard the gospel, we want you to hear the gospel. But whether you're here and you've heard the gospel a million times, we want you to hear it again so that you can experience it again. We tell the gospel so that you can hear it and then you can proclaim it. That's how to have the heart of the missionary. And then as we read on, we see the prayer of the missionary. You see Paul in verse 4, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray also for us that God may open a door for the Word." See, Paul's story is miraculous. This extraordinary moment where he encounters God and his whole life is turned around and he understands that it's a miracle, that his heart has been changed only because of God's power... But he recognises that that's the story for anyone who's going to come to Jesus. Every person is a miracle. Every Christian is a miracle because God is intervening in their hearts and in their lives. And so if it's a miracle, if it's something that God must do, then Paul will ask God to do it. He will constantly be praying for that. And so we see here that he prays for open doors for the Word. He prays for opportunities to tell the Gospel, to explore that with people, to, to proclaim the news to them. Open doors for the Gospel. Like, how often do you do that? How, how often do you pray that God will give you a chance to tell the Gospel today? Uh, I heard a crazy example of this uh, back from West. This is a, a number of years ago. Uh, there was this guy in our church called Kaz uh, and he'd had a pretty interesting background, pretty rough background. Uh, but one night he was at a Bible study and uh, someone in the Bible study had double parked. And then this other car comes along and can't get through because of this double park, and he gets out, and he's really frustrated, he's really angry, and he's yelling in the street, this guy's in the you know, and everyone in the Bible study hears this, and so Kaz goes out, and he's like, hang on, I know that guy, he's like a friend of mine from my past life, and so he runs out there, and he's like, mate, calm down, what's going on? And he's like, Kaz, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm at a Bible study. He's like, you're at a Bible study? Like he had just not this was not in his field of reference at all. He's like, Yeah, hey, yeah, I come here every week, it's fantastic. And anyway, he calms down the situation, the guy drives off. But a few days later, this guy rang up Kaz and said, Mate, you said you're at a Bible study. What's that all about? He's like, Yeah, yeah, I've become a Christian and I love learning about Jesus. And he's like, Well, I wouldn't mind doing that too. And so he starts, gets him a Bible, and a week or so later he rings up again and says, Kaz, I don't understand. I haven't heard about Jesus yet, I'm up to Deuteronomy and I haven't heard about Jesus. He's like, oh yeah sorry, try the second bit, uh, there's more Jesus at that one, it's more clear. Anyway, so this guy starts, continues to read the Bible, and he becomes a Christian and then apparently he ended up doing some mission work in Southeast Asia. God works in mysterious ways, he opens doors for the gospel all over the place. A guy is at a Bible study, There's a double park, there's an argument in the street and it leads to someone becoming a Christian. God can open doors. So let's pray that he will open doors for you and for me. Pray that he'll open doors at your workplace, in your office, at the water cooler, whatever. Pray that he'll open doors in your family. That Christmas next time will be... Some moment where you'll get to proclaim the gospel to your family that you love. Pray that it will open doors at the footy club. Wherever you are, ask that he'll open doors. And then let's be praying. You see how Paul says that our prayers should be steadfast, watchful and thankful. Our prayers should be steadfast, they should be steady, they should be consistent. We don't just pray this for one day, we pray for every day. And then we're praying watchfully, looking for signs where God might be leaving the door ajar. And then we're thankful, honoured that we can be brought into this work that God is inviting us to do. So Paul prays for open doors. And then what's interesting is he prays that when the doors are open, he'll walk through them, that he'll be able to declare the mystery of Christ clearly. Now Paul often refers to the mystery of Christ in his letters. It doesn't mean that it's something that's really hard to work out, that God is playing this massive, infinite Cluedo or something like that. Mystery in biblical terms means something that had one time had been hidden but is now revealed to God's people. That's what Jesus is. He had been uh, uh, kind of present in the Old Testament. There had been hints towards Jesus but it wasn't super clear and now it has become clear. The mystery has been revealed. Jesus is made clear. And so Paul prays that he'll be able to proclaim this. And I love that he prays this. See, one of the reasons that we fear being on mission is that we feel like we don't have enough knowledge, we don't know what to say, we're not an expert enough, our life doesn't match up perhaps, we're not sure how to answer the questions that people might have. But Paul here knew everything, right? Like he was trained as a Pharisee, that meant that he would have known the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, off by heart. Like I'm Pleased with myself if I can remember a couple of vague phrases from the Bible. I was somewhere in Hezekiah 17 or something. You know, that's, I'm proud of myself if I can remember a couple of phrases. Paul knew the whole thing. He'd forgotten more than I've ever remembered, right? And even him, even this man, is praying that God will help him to know what to say. That's really instructive, I think. That's actually really encouraging for us you don't have to be an expert, you don't have to know everything, you still, even those who do know everything, still need God to give them the words, still need God to give them the words to say in this situation. So if Paul was humble enough, then we can be bold enough to pray that prayer, to pray that God will give us the words to say. Now, Paul was a fascinating guy, he, was a, he knew everything, he was a great, well, pretty good preacher. Although I must say, there was one time we are told that he's preaching and a guy falls out a window because uh, he's fallen asleep. Now, that hasn't happened to me yet. Um, I haven't yet been told that my preaching's a health hazard. Uh, but Paul was so resolved to just know Jesus. He didn't go off and do preaching 101, didn't look up some self-help book to make him feel better about himself. He resolved only to know Jesus. That's what he's about. 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the key. If you, if you uh, want to know what to say, the key thing is to speak about Jesus. You don't have to know all about the epistemologies of philosophy or anything like that. What you most need to know is to know Jesus. Jesus to speak of your experience of him. That's the qualification that you need. That's who you want to speak into. And so may I encourage you this year to really learn Jesus, to go into the gospel and to experience the gospel and your your sin, but also his grace, his forgiveness, but also to understand Jesus himself at a deeper level. So it's easy for us to kind of get it wrong, just to give you a silly example. In my mind, growing up, I had this idea that Jesus was often grumpy, right? Like, it often felt like he was telling off his disciples and he was frustrated, he was impatient. But then there's this amazing story in the Bible where uh, some people bring some little children to Jesus. And the disciples are like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't bother Jesus with these little kids. But he says, no, 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 bring the little kids, let them come to me. And I was thinking to myself, hang on, little kids never go to grumpy people. They don't like grumpy people. But these kids were gravitating toward Jesus. There was something different. There was something loving and gentle about Jesus. And so it changed my perspective on Jesus. I realised I was getting it wrong. And we can often get these things wrong. So learn Jesus. One of the ways I try to do this is I try to read through one or two of the Gospels every year. And I try to do it really slow. Like every day I'll just read a little paragraph. It might be four or five verses. And then I want to think about the Jesus that I meet in that passage. What do I learn about what he's like and how I can be like him? I want to understand him more and more to be like him. Trent Hunter says reading the Bible is central to the Christian life because knowing Christ in Scripture is the means to magnifying Christ in life. If you want to make Jesus known, then you need to know him, you need to become familiar with him. So look for Jesus, learn Jesus. All right, so we've thought about the heart of the missionary, we thought about the, the prayer of the missionary, that they're seeking for God to open doors, for them to then uh, proclaim Christ clearly as they do that. And thirdly, I want you to see the life of the missionary. Paul talks about it in terms of walk, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. I've always been fascinated by people's walking styles. Um, when I was a little kid, I used to imitate all the teachers at school and how they walked. And, and I, always, I still do it now, like I love seeing Guy walk, he's very upbeat, you know, so, you know, that's very Guy. And then you have like Zach, he's very much more calm and laid back, you know, like it's, he's a calm dude, you know, coach, he's all over it. But there's something about people's walks, it shows what their personality is like, how they live their life. And that's what Paul says here, he's talking about the walk of the missionary, how they live their life, how they carry themselves, what they're all about. And here he says uh, that they walk towards outsiders. The life of the missionary is that pointed out, outwards. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Outsiders here uh, refers to people who are not yet Christians, uh, to people who are outside the body of Christ, outside the family of God. The missionary lives with their life pointed out, seeking to bring those people into the family of God. Now, if you're not a Christian yet and you're here... Please don't be offended by this language of outsiders. Uh, I want you to understand that uh, the church is all about this this restlessness to bring people in. It is this beautiful, close-knit family, but it's always looking to expand, to go further out, to bring you in. That's the goal. That's the idea. And so the missionary is someone who is constantly seeking to do that. They're making the best use of their time. They're constantly looking for the outsider to bring them in, to welcome them in. That's the life of the missionary. To kind of put it practically, what I want to suggest to you is, you, want to, you we are called to be kind of chaplains in our communities. So yeah, I actually envy uh, lots of people who uh, who don't work in ministry because they actually have lots of access to people who are not Christians. My workplace is pretty Christian. Like, <laughs> it really should be, shouldn't it? But <laughs> and, and, you know, like, it's, it's, I'm working with Christians. I'm fortunate enough to have a family that's Christian as well. So I have to really look for opportunity. I have to go out there to find opportunity. You are surrounded by people most likely in your workplace who don't know Jesus or all around you. There might be lots of people who don't know Jesus. And may I suggest to you this year, try to be the chaplain of your community. What's a chaplain? Well, The chaplain is kind of the spiritual presence in the community. They're the person who's trying to build the community socially bring them everyone together and then they're there to provide spiritual guidance and spiritual help aren't they you see uh, it's easy for people to not feel like they need god when life is good when life is comfortable but when life turns bad when someone gets a cancer diagnosis or they have a miscarriage or they lose their job that's when they are likely to want to know the answers they want to know what god has to say And if you have built up your life, if you've been the chaplain in your community, then they'll turn to you for answers. They'll look to you for wisdom. So be the chaplain. For us in my family, uh, we try to be the chaplains of our street and we love our neighbours. We spend lots of time with them if we can and we just try to support them and to be a source of life. One of my neighbours passed away last year and I was asked to do the memorial service and You know, it's been important for us to kind of walk alongside this family, to seek opportunities. Let's try to be chaplains in the world around us. And then as we do that, we want to use our speech. See, often you can feel like you spend your your whole life just just living and being a presence, being a spiritual presence. And I feel like maybe you don't get enough opportunities to actually proclaim the gospel. Be patient. And then when the opportunity comes, pray what he says in verse 5, verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, My wife is Greek, and so when she cooks, she uses a lot of salt. That's just how it works. I remember asking her once, what's that dish that has all the salt? And she's like, which dish? They've all got lots of salt. Um, (laughs) But there's this one in particular, It's like this lamb thing. Oh my gosh, it's just incredible. It's better than this morning's big brekkie. But, um, <laughs> you know, when she cooks, it tastes amazing, right? And when we put salt in something, we can savour it. It livens the whole thing up. It feels good. We want more of that. And that's what Paul's saying here. You, we want our speech to be seasoned with salt, to be the kind of people who offer life and flavour to everything around us. It should be noticeable that we're different. What we say should feel different. It should be tasty. It's when we we praise rather than condemn everyone. We hold our tongue rather than lash out at other people. When we share wisdom that can only come from above. That's salty speech. And when we do that, Paul says in verse 6, we'll know how we ought to answer each person. I think that what he means here is that salty speech prompts questions. The best kind of questions. Questions that start with, how do you do this, rather than, how can you do this? So what I mean is, often when our Christian witness is poor, we get lots of questions, but they're very negative questions. How can you questions? How, how can you do that if you say that you're a Christian? How, how can you say that God is, is loving when Christians like you are so arrogant? You know, how can you do this? But when our life is transformed, then we get, how do you? Questions: How do you stay calm when everything is so stressful? How do you hold your tongue when people are gossiping about you? How do you find this hope? How can I find this hope that you have? When you do the truth, you get the chance to proclaim the truth. Rather than just defending your faith, you get to proclaim it. You get to explain it. When it's clear that you know Jesus, then other people will come to you seeking to know him as well. And we can do this anywhere. See, I've talked a lot about the heart of the missionary and the life of a missionary. And I think it's wonderful if you end up going overseas and serving God on the mission field overseas. That's a beautiful thing. I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider that. But I know for most of us, you will continue, we will continue to minister where we are. But wherever we are, I want us to embrace that, to embrace that as our mission field. There's this beautiful story in Luke 8. Jesus is in a place called Gennesaret and there's this guy who's possessed by a demon and Jesus heals him. It's incredible. It's a total miracle. And this guy comes up to Jesus afterwards and he says, can I follow you? I want to follow you around. And Jesus says to him, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So Jesus could have sent him off to the mission field. But he actually says, no, 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 I want you to stay where you are where you are, I want you to declare what God has done for you. So if God is moving in your heart to go overseas, then wonderful, but if He's not yet doing that, I pray that He's moving in our hearts to minister where we are, to go home and declare what God is doing, to be missionaries wherever we are. And we can be, we can be if God gives us the heart of a missionary, a heart broken by sin and then put together by God's forgiveness, a heart transformed by grace. And then we can be missionaries if we pray the prayers of a missionary, praying that God will open doors for us every day. And then when he opens those doors, he'll enable us to walk through them and to declare the mystery of Christ clearly. And then we will be missionaries when we have the walk of the missionary, the life of Of the missionary, purposeful, pointed outwards, seeking to make the best use of the time, being the chaplain to our community around us, living a life that shines with the uniqueness of Jesus that prompts questions. For some of you, that might be overseas. For others of us, it might be here. But wherever we are, let's declare what God has done for us. Let us know Jesus more and more so that we make him known. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you have entrusted us with the mystery of Christ, the wonderful message of Christ, this thing that was hidden but has now been revealed, this message of hope and life. Lord, I pray that each one of us might experience that for ourselves, that you might humble us to see our sin and then lift us up to see your grace. And Lord, uh, help us then to embrace this work. Give us the heart of a missionary that's just transformed by your grace. Give us the prayers of a missionary. Open doors for us this week, today, to declare the gospel. And then when you open those doors, enable us to proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly. And then, Lord, may we live the life of missionaries, pointed outwards, being a spiritual influence on those around us. And when life turns hard for them, may they think of us as the people they want to talk to. Because there is a hope in us, there is a knowledge, there is a wisdom, there is a joy and a love in us that can only be explained by Jesus. Use us, Lord, to bring people to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.